the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Christians who grow up in Christ are those who want to grow. They desire to grow. Paul says, I haven't arrived spiritually, but I desire to. I press on. I want to grow. In fact, this desire with Paul, notice how intense it is that Paul compares it to an athlete pursuing a goal, pressing towards the prize. This word pursue was used of a hunter who went after his game. He pursued it. In fact, it's also a word used, translated in our Bibles for persecute. Someone goes to persecute you, uh, they are relentless. And that's the thought. A, A runner who doesn't give up, he's in pursuit of finishing. He wants to finish the race. There is a similar concept in the business world. Often called the continuous pursuit of excellence, it is a mindset that is meant to keep organizations from becoming complacent. When a business rests on its laurels, it will soon be left behind by the competition. But as Christ followers, the goal is not to be better than anyone else. Our task is to continually pursue spiritual excellence so our lives will reflect and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse. This is Peter Silseth, and our teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve has been serving at Lakeside since 1981. His ministry has grown to include these daily radio Bible classes produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. Jesus said that the greatest commandment is twofold, to love God with our entire being and to love our neighbors as ourselves. If we are honest with ourselves, we know that we do not always measure up to that standard. In fact, it could be argued that we never do. The Apostle John wrote, If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. As we grow in Christ, we should sin less and less, but we will not be fully sinless until the return of Jesus. Here is Pastor Steve to continue a three-part message from Philippians chapter 3. Full sanctification will come the moment we see the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, in the same letter, 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, John says, Beloved, now we are the children of God. That is, right now, we're God's children. And it has not appeared as yet what we shall be. We're not sure in the future all the things. People ask me about the resurrection body and what will it be like. We don't know all the details. It hasn't been revealed to us. John writes this, We know that when he appears, we'll be like him because we shall see him as he is. All we can say is that we're going to be like Christ, which speaks of perfection at this point. Christ-likeness. Philippians chapter 3, look at verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Basically, it means this. We look for Jesus to come from heaven. When he comes from heaven, we're going to be turned into his image. We're going to be like him, transformed. 
So there is coming a day in which we will be fully Christ-like, but Paul is saying, not now. I haven't arrived at that point. I'm not fully sanctified. Now, in our theological circles, and I believe we're correct, we would not disagree with Paul. We would say, right, can't be fully sanctified. However, I have met many who, while attesting to not being fully perfect, and they would say, well, I'm not perfect, they really don't think they're far from it. They really don't think they have too far to go. Many brethren will, will they'll claim, I'm, I'm not perfect, but if the truth were known, what their heart is really saying is, but I'm pretty close. I'm pretty close. They perceive themselves as spiritually mature. And, and let's use the principle now. Uh, let's say, well, th- they don't think they're exactly going to be perfect, but they see themselves as pretty close to it. They see themselves as spiritually mature. They see themselves as having experienced a lot of the Christian life. You find this many times in in people who've been saved for years. They've experienced a lot of the Christian life. They're usually older. They're very knowledgeable about the Word. They're experienced. They've seen a lot. Uh, And they like to tell you that. I've seen a lot in my time. Uh, Nothing wrong with that. But if that's an attitude of of, uh, pride, it is wrong. And they perceive themselves as having arrived. You just can't teach them anything. There are many Christians like that. They just can't receive anything. You can't teach them a whole lot. They've heard it all. They, they really feel that way. Now, folks, when a man or a woman has that kind of attitude about themselves, that's a sign of spiritual immaturity, not maturity. Not maturity. The most mature, Christ-like man who has ever lived, in my opinion, is the Apostle Paul. Now, there may be some who have been just as mature, but I don't think any who have been more mature than him. And Paul looked at his spiritual condition, and he honestly admitted that he wasn't mature. He hadn't arrived. It was Paul, I remind you, who said, I am the chief of sinners. I am what I am, he said, by the grace of God. You see, the principle is this. If you want to grow in the Lord, then you have to honestly admit that you have a need to grow. People who, who think they're still, they're fully mature, they don't see a need to grow anymore. They feel like they've learned it all. I knew, I knew of a man who wouldn't come on a Wednesday night to, uh, to service in church because he, he admitted, he said, what more do I have to hear? What more do I have to hear? You see, if you think that you are mature, then you don't think you need to grow anymore. And if you don't see a need, you're not going to hunger and and desire and thirst after being more like Christ. Great Christians don't see themselves as great. If somebody's got to tell you how great they are, it means they're not great. I mean, it's, it's as simple as that. You can't be satisfied with your spiritual attainments if you want to be more like Christ. And it's a paradox. If you think you're mature, most likely you aren't. If you don't think you're mature, most likely you are. It's a paradox. One major reason why some believers stop growing is that they stop being honest with themselves. They really stop being honest with themselves. And uh, sometimes they've been involved in ministry and they, and they hear people say awfully nice things about them and they stop honestly evaluating themselves. They believe all the stuff that people tell them. And they begin to have a false estimate of themselves. They, they see themselves as better than they really are. In fact, let me illustrate that to you. If you look at the book of Revelation, the Lord Jesus addresses in chapter 3 of the book of Revelation two churches 
uh, not just people, but two churches, which means there were a lot of people in this church. The church was characterized by having a false estimate of themselves. Revelation chapter 3, verse 1, the church at Sardis, Jesus said to this, and to the angel of the church at Sardis, write this. He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, and you're dead. In other words, you have a name, you have a reputation that things are really happening and clicking and moving at your church. You don't even know it. You're dead. You think you're dynamic. You are dead. False estimate. They believed all their publicity reports. They believed all the things that, were, that they told themselves about themselves. They weren't honest. And Jesus said, you think you're something big. You are dead. Nothing's happening at your church. Revelation 3, verse 17, it wasn't the only church, the church at Laodicea. False impression. Because you say, I'm rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you don't know that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Boy, they thought they were wealthy, they thought they were rich, they thought they didn't have a need of anything, and Jesus said, you have a need of everything. You're poverty-stricken. You're broke spiritually, and you don't even know it. Now, why is it that so many believers have an improper view of their spiritual condition? You know why? It's really not difficult to figure out. It's because they compare themselves to other Christians who aren't making a whole lot of progress. You compare, if you compare yourself to other Christians who aren't making a whole lot of progress and you see that you're making a little bit of progress, you're going to think you're great. Paul, and here's the difference, Paul never compared himself to other people. But he did compare himself to the Lord Jesus Christ and to the holy standards of the Word of God. And you see, that's why he saw himself as sinful. That's why he saw himself as needy. When you compare yourself to Christ, you fall before him and, and you say, woe is me, I'm a sinner, I'm undone. You compare yourself to other Christians who aren't doing a whole lot in, in terms of spiritual maturity, you're going to think you're great. You ought to see this in Romans chapter 7. In Romans chapter 7, Paul is not, not referring to when he was an unbeliever. He's referring to his walk with Christ at this point. He had been saved for years and years when he wrote Romans, and he's speaking as a mature believer. And yet he says in chapter 7, verse 18, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the wishing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I wish I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not wish. But if I'm doing the very thing I do not wish, I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wishes to do good. Paul is saying, you know, I have a desire to do what's right, but I don't always have the strength to do that. I've, I haven't arrived. Why? Because he saw himself in light of the holy standards of Scripture, not in light of some immature believers at Corinth. He saw himself in light of the standards of Jesus Christ. And when you see that, then you back off and you say, oh, I have so far to go, so far to go. I can't pat myself on the back. The, the principle is this. The closer you get to Christ, the more you see your own sin and filthiness. It's a paradox. The closer I get to the Lord, the further I think I am from him. You see, let me illustrate it this way. You take a white pillowcase. It looks very white until it's held up to a pure white pillowcase. Take something that's off-white, and you think that's white. Hold it up to something that's pure white, and it looks sort of a dirty yellow. 
You take our lives and we think we're pretty good and you hold it up to the Lord Jesus Christ and we're dirty yellow. And so when someone comes to me and says, you know, I, I just, I, I'm trying to grow, but I don't, I'm not getting anywhere. I'm spending time in the Word and, and I just want to be everything that God wants me and it just seems I fail everywhere. And I say, wow, you're growing. You're growing. See, people who are growing don't know they're growing. You know that? Have you ever, have you ever discovered that? People who are maturing in the Lord don't think they're maturing. Those who want to tell you how mature they've become, be careful about. Be careful about it. They want your applause usually, and they want to think better of themselves than they really are. So the first attitude necessary for spiritual growth, if you're going to grow, you've got to be honest. Don't put yourself down unnecessarily, but be honest. An honest admission of not being perfectly mature, that you, that you have uh, areas to grow in. Second attitude is desire. Desire. This is a mindset. Honesty, but desire. Desire to grow. Look what Paul says as he continues in verse 12. He says, But I press on in order that I may uh, lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Christians who grow up in Christ are those who want to grow. They desire to grow. Paul says, I haven't arrived spiritually, but I desire to. I press on. I, I, I want to grow. In fact, this desire with Paul, notice how intense it is that Paul compares it to an athlete pursuing a goal, pressing towards the prize. This word pursue was used of a hunter who went after his game. He pursued it. In fact, it's also a word used, translated in our Bibles for persecute. Someone goes to persecute you, uh, they are relentless. And that's the thought. A, a runner who doesn't give up, he, he's after He's in pursuit of finishing. He's, he wants to finish the race, a hunter. That's the idea. So, in other words, Paul pursued Christ-likeness with the same enthusiasm and persistence of a runner who desires to win a race. That's what he's saying. Just like a runner goes after winning, Paul said, I go after, after being like Christ. Now, notice what he's in pursuit of. He says that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Paul says the thought here is that I want to seize the very purpose for which God saved me. Do you know the purpose that God saved you? Some believers don't know that. Some believers don't know the ultimate purpose for which they were saved. I do, and not because I'm any brighter than you. Many of you do. You'll find it in Romans chapter 8. Do you turn to Romans chapter 8, please? I want to tell you why God saved you. What his purpose is. What he, what he wants you to realize in your life. Your salvation was not an accident. There was a purpose behind it. Your salvation had purpose and reason to it. God not only chose you for himself, but he interrupted your life. And that's what Paul says, I want to lay hold of, uh, for that reason for which God laid hold of me. Jesus Christ really laid hold of Paul on the road to Damascus, and he laid hold of every one of us, perhaps not in the same dramatic fashion, but he interrupted your life, and he laid hold of you. Why? For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Do you know why you were saved? To be conformed to the image of his Son. That's the reason why God saved you, to make you like Jesus Christ. Now, how is he doing that? Well, you have to look back at verse 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Why does God use 
Why do all different things come into your life? Things that you don't like, things that you do like, the difficulties, the trials. In other words, everything that God allows in your life, things that you can't understand, conflicts with people, relationships, is to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. You can't, you won't, that won't be realized in your life unless you go through some hard times in your life. You see, ultimately what God wants to do, he wants you to make, make you as gracious as Jesus, loving as Jesus, humble as Jesus. And I think it's a, a spiritual cop-out, and Paul does too, to say, well, that'll happen when I die. Notice Paul is saying, I want now to lay hold of the reason that God laid hold of me. Remember I told you last week about this um, man at, at Moody, he was on the staff at Moody, who said, well, I've just sort of given up, I, I know I'll never be perfect. And uh, I realize there's a theological tension there, but I think that's the wrong attitude. Paul didn't say, well, you know, someday, I mean, when I die, I'll be with the Lord, so why strive after it now? That wasn't Paul's attitude. He said... I press on in order that I may lay hold of, and he's talking about now. I may lay hold of that for which Christ has laid hold of me. Paul wants to live out the great purpose for which God saved him, and that was his desire. And if you're going to grow, you have to have that desire now. If you have the attitude of, well, I'll die and be like Christ, you're never going to be like him now. God wants you to. You see, you will be like the Lord surely at the moment you step into eternity. But Paul says, I'm not waiting for that. I'm doing something now. I desire, I'm pressing on, I'm pushing towards that goal. I'm in pursuit of it. You see, too many Christians figure God will do it for them. You know, why bother growing? The Lord will do it instantaneously. I mean, instantly I'll be like, like Christ. But those who grow into maturity have a different attitude. They desire it now. So, spiritual maturity takes honesty. Secondly, it takes desire. Third attitude is concentration. Notice verse 13. Brethren, and I think maybe Paul is being especially kind here because some of them, I think, disagreed with Paul. Some of them probably thought that they could have attained this in this life. And Paul says, brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. Basically, it's what he said in verse 12. In other words, Paul's saying, I hadn't reached my desired goal of ultimate Christ-likeness. But he goes on to say, it's not going to stop me from pursuing it. In fact, he was going to pour everything into spiritual maturity. Look at verse 13, great verse. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, now let's stop there. One thing I do, boy, there's concentration. One, I'm concentrating on one thing. Uh, the, the words I do are not in the original Greek text. That's added by the translators, and it's not bad because it helps us to understand a little bit. But literally, the translation should be this. But one thing, one thing. And it reveals Paul's attitude of concentrating. In other words, he's not saying one thing I do, I'm going to read my Bible. It's just one thing. This is my attitude of one thing and focus. Concentration. Just as a runner concentrates on finishing and winning, so Paul says, I concentrate on becoming like Christ. But one thing. And he's going to tell us what that one thing is. Now, notice. Notice. Let me read the rest of the verse and then we'll explain it. But one thing I do 
forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead. And then he says in verse 14, I press towards the goal. One thing. In other words, what he is saying is I refuse to be distracted. I concentrate. I refuse to be distracted from spiritual maturity. And you know what? That, folks, is an absolute necessity if we want to grow in Christ. Don't let distractions distract you. Couldn't think of another word. Many of us have never learned to concentrate on becoming like Christ. We are easily distracted. We allow ourselves to be distracted. What can distract us from becoming like Christ? The same thing that could distract Paul. And that's why he goes on to say in verse 13, forgetting what lies behind, forgetting the past, forgetting the past. One thing I do, he says, I press on, but I forget the past. Now, it's important to understand that in Bible terminology, when the Bible uses the word forget, it does not mean to fail to remember or obliterating the memory of the past. So many believers don't understand that. Forget does not mean that you have a lapse of memory. No one forgets the past. No one, unless there's something wrong with you. Brain malfunction, senility, hypnosis, you can forget the past that way. But no one in his sound mind forgets the past. We wish we could sometimes. We'd like to erase some bad past memories, but it can't be done. Let me prove this to you. Look back at verses 5 through 7. Did Paul forget the past? Circumcised the eighth day, the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. All these things. Paul said, this is the way I was. Paul often told his testimony. His testimony was that he was a murderer. He murdered Christians. Did he forget the past? Think he would have liked to forget the past? Sure. Think he would have liked to have forgotten those things. When the Bible refers to forgetting, it means no longer to be affected or influenced by. No longer to be affected by the past or influenced by it. For instance, when God says he forgets our sins, do you think God in his, in his mind doesn't remember? That God can't remember something? No. He forgets our sins in the sense that God no longer lets our sins affect our standing with him or influence his attitude towards us. It's not that God has a memory lapse. Someone has said this, when God forgives, he, he says, I've, I've thrown your sins into the sea, and then he puts up a no fishing sign. You know, Just doesn't let, let those affect him. Our relationship, they don't influence him anymore. And when Paul says that he forgets the past, he means that he doesn't allow his past to affect his pursuit of maturity. He doesn't let it distract him from running the race. Now, now, how would that be? How could his past and our past affect us? And this is very critical that you understand this. If you've ever run a foot race and you know that the worst thing to do, which is something that I am prone to do, is to look back. When you look back... And many people have lost a race by looking back. You lose speed, you break stride, and most of the time you lose direction, and you also lose the race if you're in contention. You don't look back. You don't look back. It's a real tendency and temptation to do that. You don't look back. There are two things in our past that can slow us down in our pursuit of spiritual excellence. One is our success, and the other would be our failures. Both should be springboards for continued growth. A high diver is aware of the springboard on which he or she stands, but focusing on the springboard will not lead to a successful dive. The diver has to be focused on where he is going and how he will get there, not where he comes from. 
Pastor-teacher Steve Kreloff will continue this message in the next Verse by Verse. I'm glad you could join us today, and I hope you'll be back again for the next class. Pastor Steve has been serving for more than 27 years at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. His clear, expository messages come to your radio through the work of Verse by Verse Ministries, a faith ministry made possible through the prayers and gifts of listeners who are first faithful to their own churches. You can find us on the web at versebyverseradio.org. If you want to listen again to today's broadcast or any previous programs, you will find the audio files there. That's versebyverseradio.org. Our class today was the middle part of a three-part message. For an audio CD or a cassette with the entire message, please call us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will call you back during regular office hours. Our number again is 727-441-1714. A stonecutter might hit a rock a hundred times before it splits. Like a stonecutter, we need to persevere. Spiritual growth is not usually sudden and dramatic like the splitting of a large stone, so it requires even more patience. But the reward is that, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we are becoming just a little more like Jesus Christ every day. I hope you'll join us for the next Verse by Verse as Pastor Steve shares more about this fourth vital prerequisite of spiritual growth, determination. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.